That was powerful. Amen. Um, I've heard Brother Jobin with the full family there, too. It's, <laughs> it's even more powerful, but it's, it's very good. We appreciate the spirit behind it a lot. Amen. I ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Titus. Get busy here making something, and it's going to be one of those things where I'm not going to really, you're not going to really understand why I'm making, why I'm making it until the very end of the message. But let's simply watch. I'm not looking at your Bible, <laughs> uh, and it's just amazing because you know if, if I had to look, I didn't have to look through my journals, which I've lost some of them. But um, if I was to Look at the church where I have preached more messages than any other church is Pastor Jones Church. So it's amazing that uh, I've actually got a message here you haven't seen before. <laughs> you just showed up at the right time. Because there's not too many you haven't seen. So uh, I, I pray that will be a blessing to all of you. Heavenly Father, let's pray one more time. Lord, God, we do. Our, we are so grateful. Uh, as, all, as already has been said, Lord, for the things we just take for granted. And we hear about the apparent tragedy that may be going on now. Uh, and boy, it's just, what can I say, Lord? We don't know how many times you protect us from so many different things. And Lord, I, I dare say that everyone in this room could be thankful for so many things, especially this church, this church family, or the King James Bible, our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, and just on and on. I, I pray tonight, Lord, that you bless and honor each and every soul that's come out tonight and bless them just for the sacrifice of their time to come out here and, and open up this book and learn more about you and what you expect from us during the days of our salvation. And Lord, I pray you'd use me in spite of uh, my shortcomings, Lord. Help me to say those things you want said and help me to communicate them in an effective, efficient way, Lord, that it might be an encouragement and a blessing to the saints here this evening. So, uh, Lord, I ask that you play, uh, you bless every aspect of, of this message, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Titus 3, let me get started. I've got so much to do. Um, I'm going to just start out to make one gigantic pot here in a minute, but uh, I realized I wanted to make this little vessel as well. So, uh, Titus 3, 8, it's right behind me here, and I don't think I can quote it, but hopefully you fall around in your Bible says, uh, this is a faithful saying, and I will that thou affirm these things constantly, something like that, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Amen. And then it goes on to say, these things are profitable and good, are good and profitable to all men, or unto men. Two men. You know, you'd think I'd do a better job at uh, quoting that. I should have had it written down in front of me. But the reason I came up with this message, the, the reason that I was telling Pastor the other day, uh, I actually came upon this message because I was visiting a, a little church with my wife in Franklin, Tennessee. And when we were visiting that church over a period of a few weeks, it just so happened in the month of December, I think it was, when I was up there for a little bit, that that church had its memory verse for the month was Titus 3.8. And I, 
I have a verse 314. If you look at that, we may look at it ourselves a little later. It's very similar. And I thought, I don't quite understand what's so special about this verse, but I decided to, by the way, watch me do this. I want to demonstrate how soft and fragile this clay is. I know most of you have kind of seen this before. I'm going to take this little miniature, I'm going to cut it off. And I guess I'm doing all that because I just want to demonstrate how soft it is. It's a little bigger than this one, which is rock hard because it's been out in the air for quite a while and it's dry. But I'm going to make a point a little later on. I'm going to take this supposedly finished, firm uh, piece of pottery and I'm going to set it in this little vat of water. And it's going to take maybe a half hour more for that thing to dissolve. Okay, But we'll make a, come back to that a little later as well. So... Um, as I'm memorizing this verse, um, I'm starting to, first of all, I'm trying to figure out what the heck is said. And the biggest thing I struggled with was these things. What are these things he's talking about? Now, maybe some of you guys that know the Bible a lot better than me, you already know what exactly those things are referring to. Uh, and I, obviously, it could be the things in the verse itself, which is the maintaining of good works primarily. Uh, or it could be the things that are in the first uh, seven verses of that chapter, or it could be the, the things that are in the, the first three chapters of the book, whatever. It could be a lot of things, those things. So what I did, and what I decided, by the way, I'll tell you in advance, what I, my thinking is, I think it refers primarily to the things that are in the verse itself. And the reason I came to that conclusion, this is just me, you may have a different idea, but just me, is because I looked up in our Bible there are three times, counting this one, there's two other times where Paul opens a letter with, this is a faithful saying. So I went to those other two places, and once, by the way, he op he's got a verse that says, it is a faithful saying. Now I look at those other three verses, and they were pretty clear they were talking about what was in the verse itself. So I'm not saying, I, I really, I, you know what, I really believe this Bible is written so almost every verse in it if you can make another application that, that's designed to do that yeah so i'd say the real emphasis though is the main these things refers to the good works and specifically the maintaining of those good works so we're going to dissect this in a little bit and i'm, I'm trying to get this thing I got just a big chore in front of me with this pot here but uh <coughs> i also looked up the word good works by the way in our Bible. Uh, that's a New Testament phrase. It's uh, Good works itself is only in our entire Bible 29 times. Uh, if I got my notes right. And 28 of those times it's in the New Testament. So this idea, I know we're not saved by good works, but we're saved to do the good works. Amen. Uh, hopefully, because you're saved, you want to get out there and do those good works as a sign of appreciation. Uh, now, there's 31,000 plus verses in our Bible. And if there's the word, the phrase good works is only used 29 times, that's less than one per thousand, right? So in the, in the, this is in the center of 31 verses in Titus, beginning at the end of Titus 1, where the phrase good works is used six times, all right? So there's a whole emphasis on this book about good works. That's why maybe these things, you could go back and forth and talk about exactly what it's referring to. But I think specifically the, the focus or the emphasis is on 
the verse itself. And we're going to dissect that verse in a little bit here. But what I want to do first is I want to talk about, I guess, one of the reasons good works are important, because most of you know the emphasis of my ministry and my messages are about Christians preparing for a place where we'll have those good works judged one day, and that's called the judgment seat of Christ. So I'm going to do a little bit more of introduction here and take a break from working on this. I'm going to expose this chart here. Turn to Romans. Wait, no, don't turn to Romans. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. In Romans 14.10, the Bible says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? I mentioned Romans 14.10 because our King James Bible only has that phrase, judgment seat of Christ, twice in the whole Bible. The second place is here in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. And we'll look at that in a second. I'm going to show you real quickly while i got my hands halfway clean. When is this judgment seat of Christ going to happen? So this is real broad strokes here. Uh, and I've got a timeline up here. And that timeline is supposed to try to indicate uh, visually uh, the 2,000-year church age in green here. That's a timeline. We call that the church age. That church age began shortly after the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross at Calvary. And then he rose from the dead. That red arrow is supposed to depict him, the, uh, the resurrection, Jesus Christ's resurrection. Yeah. Now, the church age began shortly after that, and then we know one day that church age is going to end. By the way, the Bible seems to indicate that that church age is going to be about 2,000 years long, or two days, because with uh, the yeah. Lord, years is, uh, days of 1,000 years, 1,000 years is as a day. I mean, it's just something to think about. Because we think that this happened in about 30, could be 30 to 33 AD, because our calendar is kind of a mess. And people disagree about exactly what the date was when Jesus Christ was crucified. But anyway, that was the resurrection. That began the church age. That church age is going to end when the church is raptured up. That's that green arrow there. That's the rapture of the church. Paul said it's going to happen in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. He said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. He said, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture of the church, signifying the end of the church age. Okay? Now, this is 30 to 33 AD. If that's 2,000 years long, I'll let you do the math. Um, we know that, that shortly after the rapture of the church, there's going to be what we call the Great Tribulation. And I'm not going to talk too much about that because it's, just, it's very divisive. But hey, this is a terrible time to be alive on planet Earth. Yes. Now, after that Tribulation period, there's going to be what we call the Second Advent. That's that green arrow. This was Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And he's coming back one day. We call that the Second Advent. And when he does come back, it signifies the end of that Tribulation period, regardless of how long it is. The second advent, right there. During this tribulation period, so sometime between the rapture and the second advent, up in the air somewhere is what's called the judgment seat of Christ. All right? And when Jesus Christ comes back to this rule, earth to rule and reign for a thousand years, we call that the millennial reign. It's going to be about a thousand year period of time. Uh, then there's going to be another judgment up here. 
at the end of that 1,000-year period, and that's going to be the great white throne judgment. And then eternity future begins with no time. I can't explain that either. But, so let's look at some more of these verses. Um, Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 10. Paul said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And he says in verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Huh. What's that all about? Well, we'll explore that a little bit. You do understand that one of God's attributes, his positive attributes of God the Father, is he's a great and terrible God, right? Mm -hmm. We always think of terrible and terror as being a negative thing. But the way uh, God uses that word in our Bible it's to signify one of his attributes, and it's, it's what it's signifying is that he's such an immensely powerful, overwhelming being, however you want to say that, that to a human, a little time and tiny human being like you and I, it's terrifying. And to think of being in the presence of that entity one day, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He's not, Paul's not talking about people getting saved. He's talking about people getting prepared for that judgment seat of Christ. Now, before he's starting to write about the judgment seat of Christ, look down at verse uh, 1 of that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, 1. And the Bible says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, look up here. Uh, you saw me take this dried clay vessel, very similar to this one, and I don't know if you can see it from where you are, but this is gradually, I mean, I can see it very clearly. It's, I know it's hard there. We can just see the, the, the shards of clay actually, it's almost like they're raining down. They're melting from the top and they're just dissolving. Yeah, and by the end of this message, that'll be just pretty much a puddle of nothing but clay. It's kind of fascinating to watch it, you know. Uh, that's what we're reading about here. It says, if we, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, talking about our body, if it were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desire to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Okay, that's another thing I want to explore in a minute here. Uh, turn to 1 John. Oh, no, go to 1 Corinthians first. 1 Corinthians 3. We're talking about terror of the Lord. We're talking about being naked. By the way, Paul, when he wrote to the church of Philippi, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Again, kind of uh, giving some insight into that idea of being uh, persuading men, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that you're going to have to give an account one day for what you did during the days of your salvation. So in 1 Corinthians 3, this is a series of verses, probably the most uh, information we get in any one place about the judgment seat of Christ that doesn't actually mention the words judgment seat of Christ. Beginning in verse uh, 13. Oh, boy. I'm going to ask Brother Joe, but do you have 1 Corinthians 3.13? Yes, sir. Can you read that real nice and loud for me, Brother? 
Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. That's 13. How about 14 and 15 as well? If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So one of the things it refers to there in verse 14, I believe it was, is about if any man's work shall <coughs> survive or whatever, uh, he shall receive a reward. Right? And that's one of those things we talked about over the weekend, about your earned inheritance receiving reward at the judgment seat of Christ. So basically, uh, to, just to combine what we already read in 2 Corinthians 5, you and I are going to be here, here, up here before God one day at that judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to, our works, these quote-unquote good works, hopefully, that uh, we've tried to do in God's strength, not our own, during the days of our salvation, they're going to go through a spiritual fire, it's going to try those works as to really, one way to say it would be, what was the motive for those works? All right? It says as in some of the verses before that, that uh, those works that are done in God's strength, they'll go like, uh, they're going to come out like uh, precious things that go through a fire. They're purified. Uh, he talks about uh, gold and silver and precious stones. But those works that uh, are done in your own strength, they're going to come through as though you'd put in wood, hay, or stubble. They're going to come through as ashes that go through a fire. So that's the difference. Um, we have to do these works in God's strength, hopefully by we're abiding in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. By the way there, in 1 Corinthians uh, 3.13, we uh, caught Pastor Job and he mentioned, every man's work shall be made manifest, that's an interesting word. You know, uh, I just, for the heck of it, looked it up in the 1828 dictionary, and it said uh, to manifest is to, to reveal something, to declare something, uh, and clear, make it clearly plain to the eye. I'm going at great lengths to mention the word, why manifest means that, because it'll come up in another verse. But if you're familiar with, with if you can remember what Pastor Jokin just read, he read, every man's works will be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. What did Webster say? It means declare? Because it shall be revealed. That was another one of the synonyms. You know why Webster's 1828 is a great dictionary, don't you? Because he got his definitions from the King James Bible. Right in. And it's right there. And that tells you, I mean, I can't stress it enough. I don't mention it as often as I should. It is such a great book, In Awe of Thy Word. Uh, it'll, it'll take you to a whole new level in your King James Bible, your appreciation for it. Uh, written by Gail Ripplinger. It's just amazing the things that are in our Bible and how incredibly, uh, well, you know, God wrote it. Uh, but I don't think we realize exactly how special it is. Anyway, uh, 1 John 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence in him, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now that abiding, again, I, I fail to really uh, stress how important that word is. 
Because it's while you are abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, while you are partaking of his divine nature of charity, that's when your works are going to survive that fiery trial. Because abiding in the Lord is him doing the works through you. That's really what it amounts to. It amounts to you having such a close walk with him that you're allowing him to manifest the spirit within you and do those good works in his strength, not your own. So uh, the other thing we just read there in John, 1 John 2.28, that not be ashamed before him at his coming. And I try to stress that word as well because Christians, you and I have a tremendous potential to be ashamed before him at his coming. And he doesn't want that for you. And I know you don't want it for yourself or any of your loved ones. So I encourage you to look for ways that you can do things that will survive that fiery trial of the judgment seat of Christ. Go to first, uh, go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. chapter 3 beginning verse 17 this is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking and you know who he's speaking to he's speaking really to the Laodicean church and by the way that church age uh, you can divide that into seven unequal overlapping periods uh, represented by the seven churches that John wrote to in the first three chapters of Revelation and the last church John is writing to is the Laodicean church. That's this church age right in here at the very end before the rapture. And that's what we're about to read about, the Laodicean church age. That's the culture we're in now. We know that this rapture of the church, the second advent, and the judgment seat of Christ that happens during the Great Tribulation, those things are on the horizon, and it could all just happen. Yeah. You know? and we need to take advantage of the time we have left however little it may be or not. So here in Revelation 8, uh, 3, verse 17, Christ actually speaking, and John's recording him. He says, uh, uh, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. This is a characteristic of the Laodicean church. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not, here's the truth, knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and there's that word, naked. That's the true picture of most Laodicean Christians. They're poor, blind, and they're naked. He says in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And what else? And white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. So, I'm not doing a thorough teaching on all of this stuff, but I, I think most of you are aware that there's a very large... Uh, very significant possibility that one of the things we're going to get to, we're going to find out at the judgment seat of Christ is, you know, we just sung that that hymn, I got a mansion over hell top, I hope you're not getting your doctrine there. As a matter of fact, one of those verses said, I want a mansion, a harp, and a crown. Now, that mansion and that crown, that those are earned. I don't know where that harp comes from. <laughs> I don't know. Is that harp in the Bible? I don't know. So I just made this vessel, and the purpose of this message, I want to take this vessel and do something a little more special with it, right? So I made one earlier, and I know they're not the same. 
but I hope you get the picture. One of the things I want you to notice right away is these things are very bottom heavy, okay? That's how potters make things that are big like this. They're, by necessity, they're much thicker on the bottom. I gotta see where this is here. So, uh, I'm gonna change all that. Now, I've got that one there, so you can kind of get an idea of what, this one's gonna change a little bit, but it started kind of looking like that one. Very bottom heavy. I got a certain way to line these up, so. This is where it's important to make sure I get this secured. Otherwise, the message is over because this thing goes blown. <laughs> you know, I was making, uh, as I do for every church, uh, just about that, the first time I do a meeting at that church, I, um, I made them a base. And what I try to do, especially if I'm sh running short on time, is I have to set up a fan and start... The, the fresh pot spinning around very slowly. I set up a little fan here and I, I dry it, you know, over a period of an hour or so. Well, I don't just stand around here and watch the thing. So I might go up to my van or whatever. So I was in, in Boise, Idaho, a couple years ago doing that. And it is a big church with a huge auditorium. And uh, I went out to the van, came back about 45 minutes later. And as I approached the auditorium, I thought I heard this washing machine. You know how a washing machine, if it's not loaded right or a dryer, it's so ba 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 something like that. And sure enough, as I look down the aisle at my, my potter's wheel, I see the, the wheel shaking like this. The pot's gone. It had flown <laughs> off somewhere. Something happened to the pedal and it engaged a little faster or whatever. But that pot was gone. And that, that, the whole wheel was still bouncing around. Because once that starts to get a little off center, uh, it's just the centrifugal force takes over. Anyway, I'm really deviating bad from this area. I want to carve this away, and I'm going to do a bunch of things in this in a minute here. Um, so, what is the whole point about this? There's a chance that the mansion is something you're going to earn. It's going to be an earned reward. The clothing that you and I might, you and I might have throughout eternity is probably going to be part of an earned reward. The crowns, I know that's an earned reward. You've got to know that. And why? Isn't it interesting that the things are works, that good works done in his strength? They're going to come through that fiery trial as gold, silver, precious stone. i got to believe that his crowns are made out of gold and silver and maybe precious stones. You know, stands to reason. Uh, we're going to be displaying those works on our heads. We're going to be wearing different things. Now, when the Bible says about being naked, the shame of thy nakedness not up here, if you explore that word naked in your King James Bible, you're going to see at least three different kinds of definitions. Because to be naked can be uh, totally unclothed. It can be to be partially unclothed, where you don't have uh, enough clothing on, I should say. Or it could be to have the wrong kinds of clothing on. For example, to have the wrong kind of clothing, if you were in the military, uh, or let's say if you were a police officer or something like that and uh, someone got shot in the line of fire and they had a funeral for him, I think you're supposed to wear a certain kind of uniform to that proceeding. And if you're in the wrong kind of uniform, you would be considered naked, all right? So I'm not sure, I, I, but I know I don't want to be naked and or ashamed of the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. Pretty sure you don't want to either. So, uh, but those earned rewards, that's what that judgment seat of Christ is all about. Now, before we go much further, what is the whole purpose 
of the judgment day. Why do things go through a spiritual fire? What, what is that, a purification process? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5.
knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Um, I think our first thought's going to be, I'm glad I'm here. Uh, our second thought would probably be, wow, I'm glad I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Yes, amen. Yeah. You know, as real as, as this is to me, I preach about it every week, it's going to be even more real when it actually happens. Yes. You know, we forget how the reality of it, but it's, it's real and it's going to happen. And it could happen soon. Um, I don't know what's going to transpire out there, but one of the possibilities is that Jesus Christ might say something like this. I died for you. What have you done for me? Oh, wow. I can hardly say that without getting choked up. Because that's a... That's a somber thought. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have you go to Job chapter 26. I'm not going to really read it. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. But um, in Job 26, uh, the first several verses of that chapter, Job is answering Bildad. And according to the Ruckman Reference Bible, these six questions that Job asks Bildad, according, if you've got a Ruckman Reference Bible, you'll find it in the footnotes there. These may be the six questions, or maybe six questions that will show up out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I was fortunate enough to borrow commentary from Pastor Schoolfield. Uh, this afternoon, and I wanted to find out if he had anything else to say about it in his commentary, and he was much more certain of it in his commentary. Where he, he, I think that what he said is, as sure as God made the green apples, these six <laughs> questions will show up in Jonas of Christ. And then if you want to really get some information, there's a whole message right there about those six questions, because the first four of them started with the word how, 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 how. And so it's not about quality. I mean, it's not about quantity. It's all about quality. So we should know that. And also four of the six have to do with speech. Okay? And that's actually, that was one of Ruckman's um, reasons for being quite certain that these questions will show up at the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen, I went to school there, and if Dr. Ruckman said something, then... I, you know, I'd say there's a 99.5% chance at least <laughs> that he's right. And uh, I, I wouldn't try to discount it. I, I think it's more than a definite, it's a possibility, a definite possibility. So these six questions, I'm going to per, uh, paraphrase them a little bit. But, uh, and think about this. Think about it if that God was asking you these questions. How did you help the powerless? How, how did you help the powerless? Did you? How did you do it? Um, how did you serve the weak? Did you do that during the days of salvation? Did you serve the weak? Uh, how did you counsel those without wisdom? How did you declare the truth? And to whom did you declare it? And when did you do it? <laughs> he might ask these pointed questions. And you know what? We should have some kind of answers. I normally would pull these handles, but 
the sake of time, I pulled them in advance. One of the reasons I wanted a pot that was firm is so that I could not only trim it, but I could apply these handles and they wouldn't be caving in the piece of pottery as I'm pushing them, I'm detaching them. Um, last question, whose spirit dominated your life? Boy, that's, that's a question. Whose spirit dominated your life? Listen, um, chances are, when you and I are at that judgment seat of Christ, we're going to have a horrible flush of regret flood over our entire being. Yes. Now, hopefully, it shouldn't be regret for not knowing about it, because if you never heard about it before tonight, you've heard about it now. But the regret will undoubtedly be, I wish I would have done yes. more. Mm -hmm. I mean, hey, and I don't care who you are. Or, you know, I'm speaking for myself. I know I'm going to have regrets. Yes. But boy, am I counting on the mercy of God. Amen. Does the Bible say he shall have... Uh, Mercy without judgment, but has shown no judgment. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Did I quote that right? Something like that. No. He shall... <laughs> whatever. <laughs> he shall have mercy. How does it go? I mean, you're going to have mercy. you got a mercy account. And if you show mercy to other people, you're going to get mercy at the judgment seat of Christ anyway. Yeah. Because mercy rejoices against... Or rejoiceth against judgment. He shall have judgment without mercy that has shown no mercy because there mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Third try, I can usually get it. <laughs> this is very scientific how you put these handles on. <laughs> Don't let that be a regret up there. You know, my biggest message that I, that I do to, probably three times at Brother Jovan's church is that uh, the sanctification process and those eight stages and how important it is to spend time, you know, reading your Bible and studying your Bible, memorizing scripture and things we've already talked about as well. But it says there, if you are partaking of God's divine nature, if those eight characteristics uh, be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then when we partake of God's divine nature of charity, he says charity, um, Paul said, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, if I do that without charity, it profiteth me nothing. Wow. You and I need to take advantage of the things we've been given, especially that gift of the Holy Spirit that resides inside of us on the day of salvation. Well, let's get to our verse here. Let's get to Titus. So Titus, uh, we're going to examine, I've kind of pinned down what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to focus on the, the things in that verse itself, especially the maintaining of good works. And um, continue to do some stuff with this piece of pottery. The first thing I want to look at is this word here, careful. So what does it mean to be careful according to our Bible? Well, our Bible is very interesting in that that word careful has two different meanings. They're almost opposite. It's like the word let. You know, let can mean to allow something to happen, but it can also mean to hinder something from happening. Careful is kind of the same way. Uh, 
You know, when uh, in Luke chapter 10, I believe it is, the Bible says uh, Jesus Christ is fitting the house of Mary and Martha, and at some point, uh, Mary breaks away to sit at the feet of Jesus. The Bible said that Martha was covered about much serving and cries out to the Lord, Lord, don't you care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And God responds to her, Jesus Christ responds to her, and said, uh, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but Mary hath chosen that, good, that one thing that is needful. But what do you say to her? Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled. That's a bad careful. He doesn't want you to be full of care. You know, what does it say in Philippians 4, 6? Uh, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make sure yes. that your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. Listen, uh, there's that careful that we're not supposed to be. We get that principle really from um, the book of Daniel, where those three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three Hebrew, Hebrew children are, uh, are uh, in uh, King Nebuchadnezzar comes up to them, makes a personal visit because they haven't been bowing down and worshiping uh, the giant obelisk or whatever it's called. What's that thing called? <laughs> it's a, a bad statue, that's all it was. Bad statue. He wanted his hand. When he struck up the band, if you were worshiping and bowing down, he told you in advance he's going to cast you in the fiery furnace. And when he came up to them to get them to do it, uh, without even hesitating, he said, we are not careful to answer you regarding this matter. We are not full of care. All right? But now this careful is different. This careful is a good thing. Now in our New Testament alone, uh, careful is used four times, two it's good and two it's bad. This is one of the good ones. I mentioned the two bad ones. And you can look up the other one. It's about in Philippians, about Paul being appreciative of the church of Philippi taking care of him. And that they were careful to maintain him or something like that. But here's, here's this thing with careful. On the good side, careful is to be watchful, to be mindful, to be circumspect. Great word. We don't use that enough. It's a good Bible word. Amen. Um, we need to be vigilant. We need to be cautious. That's being careful. Whereas the bad way of careful is to be worrisome and stressed out and all full of anxiety and anxious about things. So the point here is that we need to be careful in the good way. Just being diligent, being vigilant, being, I love that word circumspect. It means to be kind of aware of all those round, uh, uh, things around you, circumstances around you. Circumspect. That's a great word. Um, so that's, that's careful. Um, what's, what do you want to look at next? How about maintain? All right, go to Luke chapter 19. show you in a few minutes what I'm doing there. In Luke 19, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but I, I think you guys need to see this. Some of you need to know where this is. Some of you already do. Um, Luke 19, super tra uh, transparent parable. 
I like to play on my notes, I can read them. Um, a certain nobleman gives each of his, this is Luke uh, 19, we're picking it up in verse like 13. A certain, a certain nobleman comes to his 10 servants and gets each of them a single pound, is what I'm paraphrasing a little bit, read between the lines. In verse 14 or 15, he says that, uh, I'll read verse 15. It came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, pretty interesting, uh, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given uh, the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. All right, interesting. Um, you know what? I'm going to save that for a little bit. We'll come back to that. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's get back on maintenance. I just kind of jumped ahead here. Maintaining something. Um, I'll expose this thing up here. This will help. Maintaining can be... If you think about the maintenance you do on your car, the maintenance you do on your home... It's something to, you're preserving something. You're prolonging the life of it, you know, perpetuating its usefulness to you. Um, but it can also mean to, to not only to sustain it, but I like these last three kind of definitions. It's to improve that thing. It's to grow that thing. It's to advance that thing. So when we're talking about maintaining, be careful to maintain good works. It's more about us growing in those good works. Not only, in other words, we start out with a civil good work, handing a person a gospel tract, and then next we grow or advance into maybe starting to disciple a person, something like that. You know, just not just in the same place doing the same thing over and over again. Um, turn to Ephesians chapter two. We'll get back to Luke nineteen. I jumped ahead there, should. This is what's going on here. This particular vessel, when it is finished, the clay itself will no longer be gray, it will be pure white. And the blue will actually be the exact same color it is now if a transparent, clear glaze is used to glaze it. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, the Bible says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Go to Philippians 1, 6. If we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. Well, he says we are his, his workmanship. Good works is kind of an interesting thing. It doesn't just mean that we are supposed to be allowing our vessel of clay to be used by the Lord Jesus Christ for his purposes and pleasures, doing a good work. But in effect, we ourselves become a good work of the Lord Jesus Christ when we are out there doing those good works. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but look at Philippians 1.6. A specific reference, by the way, to the judgment seat of Christ, Philippians 1.6. Paul said, being confident of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in you, 
not through you, in you. You and I can be those good works. As a matter of fact, I've got a quote here somewhere uh, from 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable for me for the ministry. He's like, he's a good work for Paul. Profitable for the ministry. So you and I, um, if we are careful to maintain those good works, we can actually become a good work ourselves. And when he says, I'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, that is a specific reference to that day, meaning the judgment seat of Christ. So, now we'll go back to the word prophet. And that's what I want to do in Luke 19. We already talked about how this certain nobleman gives to each of his ten servants a single pound. And what does he tell them? He in verse 15, he wants them to see how much they gained by trading. And that's, we're getting into the definition of profitable. It's pretty obvious. It means to make a gain. And what God wants us to do is to take that spiritual gift, if we've been given one or more, to take those spiritual gifts and uh, abound in them, develop them, and then use them for his purposes and pleasure, that we might gain something. And what do we have to trade? Well, we trade the use of our spiritual gift, but we also have to allow God to develop that latent ability within us. I mean, the Jobin's practiced that song, Amen. and they've sung it before, okay? And, and, I've heard, and he plays instruments, and I, they do all kinds of things. Uh, and any musician will tell you the same thing. They make it look so easy, but it's because they paid their dues, so to speak. They put in the time. Um, that's this parable is so transparent. We read the word gained already. In verse uh, 16, uh, this servant says, Thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And the nobleman says to him, Okay, I'll give you authority over ten cities. Verse 18, and the other guy comes up to him, and the pound hath gained five pounds. There's that word gained again. He's giving him authority over five cities. Verse 20, uh, this other guy comes up to him, the servant says, hey, I, here's thy pound. I kept it laid up in a napkin. Another interesting word in our King James Bible. That word, the only other two times it's used in our Bible, refers to a cloth, a covering put over the head or the face of a dead person. So it would be fair to say that all three times in our Bible, a napkin is used to bury something and kill it, or you know, something that's already dead. That's exactly what he did. He took that gift, a picture of a Christian being given a gift upon salvation and not using that gift for its intended purposes, not even allowing God to develop that gift through that person. If God's given you the gift of music, then it's your responsibility to get out there and learn how to sing or learn how to play that instrument and then get into church. And yeah, you, you might, you know, I, I know uh, some of the musicians in here are, aren't as polished as they will be 10 years from now, okay? But praise the Lord. Anybody will tell you it's not the quality. It's not the quantity. And it's, sometimes it's not really the quality. It's the spirit behind it. Yeah. And that's what God, I, I remember, is it? Glenn Schwank, 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 
He was 92 years old the last time I preached on the street with him, with Brother Joe Rose. And I remember the first time I ever heard him got up and sing. And, you know, he was not a musician or a vocalist or whatever you call it, but, man, the spirit behind what he sang. Yeah. It was powerful. Use that talent for the Lord. Uh, so, profit is to gain something, gain by training. And we got that verse in Mark that says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You can actually exchange profit and gain. They're that similar. And that verse would still make pretty good sense. Um, go to 1 Corinthians 12. I think we had you go here the other night. First Corinthians 12, 7. The very reason we are given the Holy Spirit is to profit with all. It says, but the manifestation, there's that word, to make real, to make to be clearly seen. But the manifestation of the Spirit, capital S, referring to the Holy Spirit, is given to every man. Why? To profit with all. That's the reason God gave you that Holy Spirit. And are you using it to its fullest potential? Because its potential is unlimited. It's got an amazing potential. You take advantage of it. Uh, I already mentioned this verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. Charity never faileth. Uh, without charity, it profiteth you nothing. Go to 2 Timothy 3.16. Verse you guys all know, I hope. All scripture, 1 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, excuse me. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. It's profitable specifically for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished into what? All good works. That works just keeps cropping up at good works. Go to 2 Timothy 4. Timothy 4.11, this is when I quoted earlier, Luke is with me, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So, not only was he a good work, but he was profitable for Paul, the ministry. Look at it. Doing these works, it's about, uh, I mean, if we put all this information together, when we look at this verse now, we should be thinking, this is a faithful saying. I will tell affirm these things. These things, these things that have to do with maintaining good works constantly. That believers, that they which have believed in God, might be careful. Not being worried, not being anxious, but just being vigilant and circumspect. To maintain, maintain, especially to improve, grow, and advance those good works. These things are good and God wants us to profit one day, uh, and he'll give it, that profit will show up at the judgment seat of Christ. 
Um, I'm just going to mention, when I finish this piece of pottery, a couple things about good works. Christ said it on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He said, and let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. In Acts 9, 36, the Bible talks about Tabitha, also called Dorcas, and that she was full of good works. Turn to 1 Peter 2. Hebrews 13, 21, the Bible says, make you perfect in every good work. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, uh, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. We already read Philippians 1, 6, being confident that this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Here in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, I can hardly go a message without mentioning Revelation 4.11. We were created to bring God pleasure and we bring him that pleasure by glorifying him. Well, I've, from time to time, made mention of this potter I know in uh, Nashville. She does a bunch of women's meetings. And uh, every once in a while, I threaten to do what she does. And what she does from time to time is she will actually take about three to five minutes and not say a word. She's just up there working, and I just can't bring myself to do that. But I'm going to do a little bit of that right now. I just want to finish this. And this is a little uh, more risky as I've got the uh, handles on there because this thing is no longer perfectly symmetrical. And if I spin this too fast, these handles are going to want to take off or pull the pot one way or the other. Let's see what else I have to do here. So... I know not all of you have seen uh, my presentation on the judgment seat of Christ and the fact that the fact that I demonstrate the eight stages uh, of the clay process and how those relate to the eight stages of the sanctification process. But I'm going to do that now to make sense of this piece of pottery that I've just made. And I suppose I could get the base on that a whole lot smaller. Just lightens the whole vessel up. You just never know when you're going to go through. Still pretty sad. So, real quickly. Potter takes clay through eight stages. Number one, dig the clay out of the ground. Can't use it for much. It's hard and it's contaminated. It needs to be softened and cleansed. Oops. What does the potter do? He puts that clay in a whole bunch of water. 
and that clay softens it and cleanses it. I'm not going to go through the steps. Most of you have seen it before. Once the clay has been softened and cleansed, by the way, it's got all that water, you can eventually pour that off. I'll put it in here. As promised, my vessel has melted. Boy, it must have been thick because there's a whole lot of clay in there. That's the pure clay. It's no longer hard, it's no longer contaminated, it's been purified. And now the potter takes that clay, dries it out. When he pours out that mushy, soupy clay, it creates a big pancake somewhere. He lets the sun beat on it, the wind blow on it, eventually dries it out. And he peels parts of that pancake, takes them into his studio, and puts it through the fourth stage, which is called the wedging process. And he takes this clay and wedges it, he gets rid of the air pockets, and he makes those slightly too dry areas and those slightly too soft areas combine and make just the right consistency. That's the clay being rested. Once the clay is rested, it's put on the potter's wheel and it's shaped. All right? And then it's dried in the air. Once that's done, the potter takes that fired vessel, or that unfired vessel, that's dry now, he puts it in a potter's kiln and fires it at a temperature about 1800 degrees. And it makes it not only hard, let's see what I got here. It's also waterproof, it will never get soft again. Then he takes that fired clay, puts on the glaze coating, and that glaze is going to turn to glass when the thing is put back in the kiln, and this time fired to about 2200 degrees. So, this is the part I want you to see. This is about maintaining good works. Because all you think is this vessel. But no, this vessel can become this vessel. If you're maintaining good works. Because you become the good work. It's a two-sided coin. And people just think it's like, i got to go from this stage to this stage to this. No, no, no. You might be parked here a long time. And God is developing that spiritual gift within you. To make, what did we talk about last night? To become a vessel unto honor. Amen. This, I mean, and who knows? He might want you to be this elaborate teapot or this elaborate set canister set or whatever. I mean, you know, you just use your imagination. All that takes time. It's about being careful to maintain good works. It says in second, uh, Titus 3.14, we need to be careful to maintain good works lest we be unfruitful. That's Titus 3.14. This is the whole focus of the message. All right? And then we go to 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I mentioned this the other night. That's 2 Peter 2.15. Look at 2 Peter 3.17. For it is better for the will of God to be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Look at 2 Peter 4.19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing. It's all throughout our Bible. King Josiah made him such a special king 
no king before him or after them turned the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. King Josiah, because he made a covenant with God, not only to keep the words of God, but to perform the doing of them. So that's the message, Christian. God wants you to become a vessel of honor. And I think understanding this verse, and I hope this by really dissecting a verse like this, it might help you to study some other verses that you start with. This verse, I, I really spent a lot of time just in memorizing it, trying to figure out what it meant. And that's what it's meant to me. And I think I've tried to demonstrate that through this thing here. Yeah. And, and take that to a level that I hope, like I said last night, God knows the vessel unto honor. He wants each and every one of us to come, to become one day, if we will make ourselves available to him. Through our well-doing, not in our strength, but in his, he will do the heavy lifting and turn us into a special vessel in honor. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lord, for the day.